Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Locks Talks podcast. I appreciate the patience. I know it's been a few months since I've last uploaded, but I am back. I'm better than ever. I have new guests coming within the next few weeks, so that means more podcasts. I'm really excited, especially about the new podcast that just came out today that you're about to listen to with Mrs. Amanda Hostetler. Um, definitely somebody that's close to me in my life, especially has been for the last few years, a Bible teacher of mine in my high school. She has a crazy life. I mean, full of hardships, full of faith, inspiration. I mean, this is this podcast was really something you guys should really pay attention to um, on all levels. Um, she has had just something that no one else I know, even close to, has had for a life. She has 15 kids. She lived in China. She, I mean, it's those are only small fractions of what you're going to hear today. Um, she has just had such a an amazing journey with faith. And that's why I brought her on, and it was just such a special experience. And so, like I said, I hope you guys enjoy. I really appreciate you guys tuning in again. And, you know, stay tuned. I'm going to have more podcasts coming soon. But for now, this is Amanda Hostetler and Lachlan McGregor on the Locks Talks for episode number five. Thank you so much. Enjoy. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, one religion and stuff like that so that's really good um so first off just i wanted to ask you about your current state of like residence okay because i heard like two months ago there was like a fire at your house in edmonds yeah which you had recently what like lived in only for like a year or something like that so what happened with that yeah so you know 2020 right Mm -hmm. of course um it had of course we had the pandemic Mm-hmm. We had some other challenges in our family, some things that happened. And then September the 24th, I was coming home from teaching and I was getting, one of my kids had broken glasses. So I was going to go try to get some glasses fixed. And I, I was five minutes from the house and my 21 year old daughter, mm-hmm. who still lives in the house or lived in that house with us, called me and she said, mom, the house is on fire. What did you think when she said that? And I was like, I was like, hey. I love dr- dramatic things like yeah. everybody just calm down, you know, cause I'm yeah. thinking what she's meaning is they're all fighting they're or there's yeah, something crazy exactly. going on. Right. Um, and then she's like, mom, the house is on fire. And I said, call nine one one, you know, and another sister had already done that. And I came screaming into the driveway and jumped out. And it was really quite interesting because, um, you could already see, I mean, the smoke was billowing out of the attic and all of mm-hmm. the eaves area. And my kids who had been home were already out in the lawn. So everybody was safe. Everybody was okay. safe. They found the cat. Good. They found the dog. Good. And just as I showed up, I had this like, I, I really think it was the Lord because it was just like this. All of a sudden, I thought, I've got to turn off the power in the house. Yeah. And I... I, I, maybe I was taught that years ago, but I've never thought of that again. And I ran back into the house, ran down into the basement. While it was on fire? While it was on fire. And switched so what, what part breakers. was on fire for you to be able to run into the, the house? Uh, well, it's three. It's three yeah, stories. Yeah, I've been there. It's, it's a big house. It's three yeah. stories. It's 8,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. So the top floor is what caught fire. Okay. So it was a fire that was in a bathroom in a ceiling fan. So the ceiling so fan, yeah, just on for some reason 
caught fire. And by the time my, my daughter had discovered it, she'd come home early, which was again, a God thing because she never gets off early. And on that day, her boss came to her 30 minutes early and said, Hey, go ahead and get out of here today. It is a God thing. It totally is. So she goes home, she gets upstairs, she's going and she's just going to go to the bathroom. And there were two bathrooms that are side by side. She walks past the first and, um, she was like, man, the light is on in there. You know, yeah, it was like, like right around yeah. the door. And so she came back, she opened the door and she looked down first at the ground and the ceiling fan was on the ground on fire. And then she looked up at the ceiling, the entire ceiling, and she could see into the attic and it was all aflame. That is scary. So they started with um, a fire extinguisher Mm -hmm. and tried to fight it a little bit while she was yelling to get everybody out because we, we live on three floors and I have some special needs kids. I have a son in a wheelchair. I have two who are visually impaired. And were they all there at the time? They were all Everybody was there except for you? Me and some of the kids who were at Kings Mm -hmm. um, because they were on campus with me. So me plus five, I think came back. And so I ran in, I shut off the power. When I got there, I just had this, I've got to turn off the power of the house, ran downstairs, shut off the power, got out. And then I just gathered the kids in the yard. We, of course, already called um, 911 waiting for the fire trucks to arrive. And I was just like, let's just pray, you know, because the kids were pretty traumatized out. Of course. And, um, you know, so we gathered and we just said, thank you, Lord. Thank you that this was 4 o'clock in an afternoon because 100%, 100% we would have had loss of life if it had been overnight. Our fire alarms didn't go off. That's um, crazy. And there, there's no doubt that because the fire marshal told me, he said, he said, it's really kind of amazing that you're standing here talking to me. He said, because number one, if your daughter had been five minutes later, you would have had a total loss. The entire house would have already been gone. The second thing is that you turn off the power because you shut the power, you, you shut the transmission through the house of the fire because it was in the attic with all the wires. And, um, and so it, had it been overnight, there's no way we could have gotten everybody out off, off three floors. So we gathered together and we prayed. We just said, thank you, God. You're so good to us. And and we just tried to keep that attitude, even though it was crazy. People showing up, fire trucks. I was like 24 fire engines. 24. I mean, it was all over the place, all these different cars. I mean, it was wild. How long did it – like? last like how long did it take for them to take it out by the time that you had gotten home so it wasn't um it was probably completely done in about an hour of them like feeling like they had it suppressed but um fire gets into i I don't really know anything about fire but i learned a little bit but apparently it gets into the walls and then sometimes before you know it then it will explode into other parts of the house and so they had to be sure that all the fire was out in the walls and anything that was connected. And this is an old house, 1905, you know, right. built like a tank, uh, you know, everything like huge pieces of wood that built this whole place. Um, so they fought it. They watched it for a while. And then they told us, you're not coming back in this house. And they t- drug in big hoses and huge water. Yeah, uh, water. I can imagine they and, a lot of it. Yeah, a lot of water. And, of course, then by the time within two hours, the ceiling was falling on the second floor because the water that had come down through and these old plaster ceilings just, just crashing down. And so we were like, oh. And I was like, hey, maybe we'll be out for a couple of weeks. I mean, I was just so. Trying to be more optimistic. Yeah. And, and yeah. one of my friends said, hey, 
you're going to need to be prepared. Like you may be out for a year. So now it's like 15 months, I think. And where are you living right now? So we have a rental house in Kirkland. So insurance had to find us a place. Mm-hmm. Is it big enough? It's not as big as our house. It's about 4,500 square feet, which is a decent sized house. But yeah, with but... when you have 14 people living in the house, it's not so much. But it's beautiful. It's on the lake. And That's I, good. I have a little bit of missionary guilt after 10 years of living in China, living in this really gorgeous house. I'm thinking, wow. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's good. Sweet. It's good. It's all, it's all God. It I mean, is all At God. least for the next 15 months. And then that's and right. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I'm going to get yeah. a new house. Yeah. You know, the house that's being rebuilt will be up not to code. Not old like the other not one. Not old, uh. restored, all. I mean, everything will be restored in it. So, I mean, even that. Even something that looks initially. And it's difficult. And it's hard. And it did yeah, create... You know, it, it's a lot of work, the things that we need to do to get it ready and get it fixed. But yeah. God is clearly doing something amazing in this. Yeah. I mean, it's not the best thing ever at the beginning, especially, you know, hearing that, like, could have been way worse. But yeah. overall, I mean, it looks like sooner or later positivity is going to come out of it. That's right. And you brought up two things when you're talking about that. Number one, 14 people. Yeah. And number two, you live in China, which I both I knew about those. Yeah. But I wanted to kind of understand those a little bit more so I thought it was that you had I thought you had 15 we do have 15 kids but that's just however many people we have at home right now right now we have 14 people living together so we have in total 15 kids okay you and your husband yes okay so our oldest two are up and out of the nest Mm -hmm. then then we have three biologicals who are still at home now one biological lives separately, but at the time of the fire, we had three biologicals living at home and then 10 adopted kids. Okay. So you, so what about the older, older two? Are they biological? Too? They are. Okay. So you yeah. have five yes, biological, five biological. Mm-hmm. and how old is the oldest and how young is the youngest? So, um, so the oldest two biological are my husband's children. Mm-hmm. So they, my, our oldest son, uh, I have to do the math here is 36. Wow. And our youngest 36. is 11. That's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. 36 and 11. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's wow. a span. It's big, yeah, it's, it, it's a big span. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so let us let me just try to start from this. So you had your first child, now mm-hmm. he's 36. Yeah. And did you ever, once you had the first child, did you ever say, okay, this is it? Or maybe, you know, a few more, like, or did you always have, like, I want to have a a bunch of kids. Yeah. Great question. So the first two actually came by marriage. So when I married Doug, that's how I got the 36 year old and his sister who's eight years younger. Mm -hmm. And at the time, actually when we got married, I didn't, I'd even had a diagnosis that I couldn't have children. So I was like, cool. I, for years thought I was going to be a career woman. I wasn't going to be, I mean, like I'm not somebody who dreamed like someday I'm going to have a mega family Yeah, in no way. So, um, then after we were married, we married 24 years ago. Um, after a couple of years, um, we decided to see, okay, how extensive is the infertility? And we, we conceived what was my first daughter by birth and she's 21. So in my, of my kids that I gave birth to and I've adopted, they range from 21 to 11. Okay. So you, okay. So you do have a long, a large span, whether it was biological or not. That's true. Okay. So you have okay. your, you're married, you had two kids, uh-huh. you're told, you know, you can't have 
you know, you, you're unable to give birth. That's again. right. And then you had one more, you said? No, three then. So, so I got married. We had two. They were from my husband's previous right. marriage. So we had two. Oh, so I got oh, two I by marriage. I and see. then when That's we were married, about uh, a couple years after we were married, we went and sought infertility treatment. And then we had our first daughter together. And then two years later, we had a second daughter together. Okay. And two years later, we had a third daughter together. Okay. That makes more sense. So, Does that help? Yes, that helps a lot. Okay. <laughs> and we're, so where were you when you had these kids? Maybe we actually lived up in Whatcom County, um, up Bellingham area. So you were in Washington. Yeah, we were in okay. Washington. So we okay. married in Washington. I'm originally, I grew up in Indiana. Mm-hmm. So um, I came from Indiana originally, but my parents uh, lived out here and I got headhunted out here after college to come work for a firm out here in Seattle. So I worked in Seattle first and then I married my husband here. We lived then up in Bellingham area and had the first three when we lived here and adopted the first two while we still lived in Washington. Okay. So you had, you had five kids while you were living in Washington. That's correct. Also, how did you meet your husband? Uh, work. Uh, yeah, it was kind of a crazy thing. We were in independence, uh, we were living in a different when we, when we met each other, we met each other in the Midwest in Missouri, okay. uh, and I was working the same job he was working. We were working parallel territories. So we actually didn't, like, see each other in the office or something like that, but we knew each other through work. Okay. And then uh, I just... Yeah. Then I got headhunted out here, and he decided he wanted to follow me and then said, hey, there will is. you marry me? So that's, that's how awesome. we got out here. Awesome. Yeah. So five kids, Washington. Yeah. Where did the ten other kids and China come into yeah. the to the game? Okay. So, um, in two thousand and six, this would be ancient history for you, but in two thousand and six, <laughs> we adopted our first daughter. Okay. And we at that time had the two eldest they did not live with us full time they lived with their mom full time then we had three biological girls that were you know two years apart each yeah. of them and we were really just praying about whether or not to have a fourth child i didn't feel like we were done but i surely didn't think what was coming was coming well yeah and was there a reason by the way for adopting yeah some people have reasons i didn't know to- if they- totally no reason at all we were particularly good at having babies. So what could have had more? Um, and I loved being pregnant and all that sort of stuff. So those things were fine. Um, we were just praying about whether or not we were going to have another child. And it was one morning I was sitting at my breakfast table, drinking my tea and studying the Bible. And, um, I had been journaling and writing, okay, Lord, I feel like maybe there's another child for us or something. And it was the first time in my life I ever heard the voice of the Lord. And I, and I mean, it wasn't like an audible voice that everybody would have heard in the room, but it was, it, it was so clear in my heart, so clear and so crazy because what I heard the Lord say to me is my pattern for you is to adopt. Said that? He said that. He said that. And I was reading about different things. The concept of pattern was something I was reading that day about being imitators of Christ, of following and doing what God has done. That's, that's our calling as Christians. Mm -hmm. He said, my pattern for you is to adopt. And I was like, I clearly have not had enough caffeine. Like I'm imagining things, not only hearing the voice of God, which was pretty crazy, but the, the other piece of it was that I never ever in a million years thought of adoption. 
we had biological kids, we could have more biological kids. I mean, I thought adoption was awesome, but I thought it was for people who were infertile. Right. I mean, why would you, why would you adopt when you You could have have more biological babies, you know? Um, so, and I, and then through an absolutely confluence of amazing confirmations, I mean, just absolutely crazy things over the period of a few days. I told my husband, I think that God told me we were supposed to adopt. And uh, I remember him being very quiet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I remember him saying, no, I'm going to pray about that. Of course. And uh, and so, yeah. Oh, he was more than a little surprised. I was afraid he was going to have a heart attack. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so that's how it started. So we really then in pretty short order felt like, yeah, this is, I mean, this is consistent with scripture. This is what... God says in James one twenty seven, James one twenty seven, uh, true religion is this: to look after widows and orphans and their needs, and to keep yourself from being corrupted from the world. And this idea of looking after in, in English translation, sometimes we feel like what that means is like send money, sponsor a kid, and things like that. And, yeah. and I've done that too. Yeah. But um, but actually the the. The original language there means to get involved, to change the course of the life of an orphan. And so it was really clear to us, like, there wasn't actually that much to pray about, frankly. You just knew it. Because God already said it. He said, this is what true religion is. And if you're going to follow me, if this is my pattern for you, you're going to do this. So, And we didn't know where our child was. Like, we had totally no idea. We were like, America, fine, foster care. I mean, it wasn't our idea anyway. Yeah. Um, and I remember about um, maybe two weeks after the revelation of you're going to adopt. And we were like, okay, cool. How is, you know, what, how's that going to happen? I didn't know anything about adoption. And um, somebody had given us a link to see some files of waiting children, kids who were waiting for families. Someone had given you that just randomly? Somebody, I, in my, I used to do radio. So I, every November is National Adoption Month in the United States. So I, I did that. a show for, um, I was on the air for seven years total. And in those years, every November, I would have some perfunctory interview with a adoption specialist, an adoption specialist about adoption. Yeah. And it was just like a, you know, it was like a, I don't know. So you'd always have that like, I I mean, I wouldn't say idea, but like you knew a little bit about adoption. Uh, yeah, like I knew, yeah, I knew a little bit. Yeah, I did a little bit. Yeah, I, did, yeah. I guess I did. I guess yeah. I did. Yeah. And um, so I, it, it happened to be November when God spoke to me about adopting. And so upcoming, here's this. And so I talked to this gal. I'm like, hey, I've got this crazy question. You know, I'm, we're kind of curious about adoption. She's like, great. We, we have a new uh, list of kids who are coming that we're advocating for. Can I send you the link? Their kids with special needs. And I was like. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Not special needs. No, I said, you know, like, children that right. don't have special needs because we are so, we can't handle special needs. Right. We have three small girls. And, of course. And uh, about, but I felt in that moment, Lachlan, like I felt, which now I've come to understand, but I felt this ping of the Holy Spirit in my heart. When she said that? Yeah. And I was like, I felt this ping, like pay attention. And so... I, about 10 days later, like right after she was immediately as she said it, because you said you were like in denial. I was first. totally in denial. I was like, Oh no, no, no. no. And that I, I definitely had the ping in my heart. And right. so, and you knew, and I knew that there was something at least to explore. So 10 days later, we're opening 
literally on you know our ancient computer in 2006. We're okay. downloading over dial-up I don't even pictures. know how you did it back then. Right. I, I mean, it was crazy. It. Right. And the fourth file we opened um, was this little girl. And, you know, the, the thing that people think about adoption is, like, you're just, like, open to taking any child or, or like, you're going to pick a child or I don't know exactly what people think about adoption, but that's not been my experience because, see, I believe in a sovereign God. And so that means that any child that I'm adopted, I'm going to adopt, God has already set that plan in motion, right? So it's, I'm not looking for any kid. I'm looking for the kid the Lord has given me, right? To, for me to parent. Otherwise he wouldn't have told you that. Right. Exactly. So I'm looking at her picture and it was the craziest thing. It was my first experience with this, but she looked familiar to me. But you don't, you didn't know who? Oh, I'd never seen her before. She lived in China. I didn't even know if our kid was in, in Lithuania or America or Brazil or China. I Random mean, I had places. no idea. I just happened to look at this thing, and there she, she was. familiar. And, then, and it was like, there you are. Same little spark you got. I mean, there. it was just like, I didn't know where you were, but now I know where you are. Yeah. I mean, it was just, there was just, it was like being flooded with confirmation at the same time, it was just like this wonderment and like, how did this happen? That's so strange to think about if you see a picture of somebody that you've never seen and then you're like, no, this is it. Yeah. Like just randomly. I just I can't knew. even, ima- I can really can't imagine yeah. like that. And I, I've looked at, and, and of course, after Naomi, we actually adopted another nine times in different ways. But yeah. what I can tell you is I have seen hundreds of files of waiting children and they it. all touch your heart. They all, you want all of them to have a family. But you see... A sovereign God doesn't just, you know, say, okay, well, pick. It's not like you're taking a puppy. God has put hearts. He's bound us together for a purpose that is way beyond even this life in which we're living. Right. So when we see them, when we, it's like, oh, you, you're my kid. Yeah. I didn't know where you were, but now I know, and now I'm coming to get you. And so when you got that confirmation, like, this is it, like, what did you you just we just chose started her and yeah we we applied we said okay we want to adopt her what I didn't know I didn't know anything about adoption at that point in time is that um, that little girls are always chosen first in fact the greatest special need that you can be born with in the adoption world is to be a boy nobody really? adopts boys really boys are uh, girls are favored probably four or five times to one I didn't know that. You see, um, you, you say, like, I didn't know this thing. Like, I, I don't know these yeah. things. Now you know these things. you got to help me out here. So <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that about boys. Yeah, boys are always, always waiting. It's one That's of the reasons terrible. that now I have eight sons. Oh, Because right. they're always waiting. Yeah. And and I think, and it's it's universal. It's actually across all adoption, whether it's domestic, international. And, and I'm not sure exactly what that is. I don't know if it's people thinking, oh, you know, for somebody to carry on my family name, they should be of my DNA. Yeah. I don't know if it's... Maybe it's because they're too rowdy or that, something. I think that's, that's also part of it. That. Oh, my gosh. You never know about boys. Like, it could really be trouble, right? Yeah. Or something like I that. I would assume that. So we, we started to jump through the hoops of this little girl. And, of course, there were multiple people who were interested in adopting her. And I was like, wait a minute. No, I'm sure that's my kid, you know, yeah. and, but I had no, I, I had no idea. And, and I, I still remember, I can still remember where I, where it was when, um, the lady from the adoption agency called me and I said, I said, that's my daughter. And she said, you know, we believe she is too. That's crazy. And it was just like, <gasps> and so it was amazing. We had no money to do it. 
We had no money. I mean, how, adop- much, how much would it cost? Well, in 2006, it was about $20,000. Oh, By the shoot. last adoption we did, it was about $30,000 uh, $30, per child. Um, and so we didn't have any money to do that. I mean, look, we barely had the money for the application fee. And, um, but it was the very first time in our life that we ever did something by faith. It was the very first time we ever did something that wasn't our idea that we couldn't just gin up and make happen on our own. Like we were literally, okay, God, you said to do this. We're going to obey you, but you're going to have to like move the mountains. But, but you were, you had, you know, you were religious. You were a big time Christian before that. Yeah. You know, you, you lived your life, you know, with faith, but that was the first time that you like, you, you made a decision based on nothing and else, but faith, the Holy Spirit. Exactly right. Okay, totally. Holy Spirit said, do it. We said, okay. And we had no way to make, it. and it was, you know, it was the first time that, I ever made a choice in my life where a whole bunch of people didn't come around me and go, Hey, that's a great idea. Yeah. You know, like so yeah. many things it's we like think are steps of just, faith. Yeah. So many things we think of as Christians are steps of faith. I don't know that there's so much steps of faith because we can see the steps between here and there and we can have an expected outcome and, and we have the resources to make it happen and we have the yeah. fallback if we, you know, all those kind of things. Yeah. This was not that case. This is the first time it was not our idea. Mm-hmm. It was it was not something that everybody said, hey, that is a great idea. Go adopt Nobody a child is, that you don't know you and bring them wolf. home. Oh, totally. Yeah. And we were just like, but we know that we know that we know the guy. So amazingly, it was December by that time. We sent out a letter because in this case, we felt like God just said, send out a letter um, and just say, hey, we feel like God told us to adopt this little girl. Mm-hmm. It's going to cost us this amount of money. It was right before Christmas. And I opened up an, an envelope from a family that we knew kind of tangentially, mm-hmm. not super well. It was a check for $18,000. Did they know about your adoption? I, I'd sent out a letter, and in the letter I just said, this is coming, like we think we're going to adopt this little girl, we need to raise funds for it, and they sent me $18,000. That is crazy. And it was just like, you know, and then it was like, yeah. it was like, how could I, now how can I say, God, I don't trust you, or oh, God, no. I don't know that you're really <laughs> leading this way. He was so generous and he was so kind because we were like wimps. You know, like you're an athlete. You know, you're building those muscles. You do the same mm-hmm. thing with faith. We build faith muscles. And so in the beginning when we start to lift, like we can barely lift anything and then we're just <gasps> totally exhausted, yeah. right? Same thing with faith. is like when you take those first few steps of faith, you're a wimp. Like you're not sure you can do it. You're, you think anything will blow you down. You're not going to be able to handle it. And so God was just so generous and helping us build those little baby faith muscles. So by the time we came to, and, and the woman I am today sitting in front of you, where I've seen God do miracle after miracle. After, I, I probably am a, the only person, I may be in your life, Lachlan, the only person you've ever met who's seen as many miracles. Oh, I know. Life. I believe it. That's another reason why I was like, this has to be my next podcast. Because I assume there's a lot of things that yeah. you've seen that nobody else has I've seen around. miracles all over. But the, but it's, it came, and that's not because of me. That's just because we took these little baby steps of faith, and God was really generous. And he's like, okay, good. You did mm-hmm. it. Here, here's the money to pay for it. Yeah. The second time, it was very different. The second adoption was totally different. We knew that God said it. It was amazing how we found him. There was a bit of, yeah, it was a pattern. It was a pattern for our life. We didn't have the money for like months. And I was totally at peace because I was like, well, God said it. He's going to bring the money. And I think the last of that money came in like two weeks before we were supposed to travel. 
But I mean, it was it was just like, and I could look back and go, "Wow, I've changed." Yeah, you know, I, I'm at peace in trusting the provision of God. I'm at peace in trusting that when He says He's gonna, when He tells me to do something, it's up to Him. He's gonna bring it to pass. Yeah. So those little steps in every adoption has taught me something different, a different character trait of who God is. Is is taught me more about how awesome He is, and and given me greater insight, and and just. And I am the wealthiest woman you've ever met. And has nothing, certainly has nothing to do with my bank account. I'm the wealthiest person you've ever met. I have seen, I have more blessing in my life than anybody I've ever met, known or anything. And it, it has nothing to do with me. It's just God. It's just yeah. God. It's just little the steps. Faith. Yeah. And, and in the beginning, it was just so crazy. It was like stupid. You just don't do something like that. That doesn't make sense. It's not best practices. People don't say, yeah, that is a good idea. No, yeah. Nobody does. People probably thought you were like, what? But God said it. Yeah. And so when we trust him, like he he loves to show up and show off. And he did. That's awesome. And and so how how distant, like time-wise, was your first through your, what, ninth adoption? Yeah, tenth like, adoption. Tenth adoption, yeah. So, um, the first two, Naomi and Isaiah, were adopted while we still lived here in America. But in the year between Naomi and Isaiah, we started to feel like God was talking to us about going to live in China. <laughs> and I That's was so like, random. I was like, no, I don't think so. Was it another, like, you heard it or, like, what? So, when we were on the first adoption trip with to get our daughter, Naomi, we were in the city of Wuhan. Of course, everyone knows Wuhan yes, now because do. of coronavirus. You, you say Wuhan? Is yeah. it not Wuhan? It's, Is it just yeah. a weird thing that we say? It, yeah, it, the, the tones are Wuhan. Wuhan. Okay. But um, and we lived first in Wuhan, and our children are also from. Five of our children are Wuhanese. They're from that city. That's our hometown in China, actually. That's crazy. And um, we were in Wuhan picking up Naomi, and. My husband, who at that time was definitely not particularly a mystic in any way, at the like the last day we were there, he's like, I have the strangest feeling about this place. He's like, like, I feel like we're going to be back here again or like we're going to live here. And I was like, You're like what are you talking what about? What are you talking about? Because yeah. I've got a radio career and they're talking about national syndication and you got a great job, and we just built our dream house. Yeah, like, and people don't move, become missionaries. You know, we're too old to become missionaries. No, you know, seems we're crazy too, to think about. It's just crazy. Um, but in that year, from his little inkling, then God just confirmed it over and over and over again. And we started taking steps. It was like, okay, we'll just knock on the door. Okay, we'll just knock on the door. We'll just knock on the door. And over and over again, the door was closed, and I was like, "Woo, good!" Because I'm all good. Mm-hmm. I'm all you don't good. Move. I don't nope. need to go to China. I nope. love my life. I love my job. I love my church. I love my house. Yeah, I love everything about what's going on here. I don't need to move. And at that time, did you have what two kids so, adopted? So, so we had two adopted okay. at that time. So you were kind of, you know, you chilling. You had. Job, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. There's no reason. Not even in. No in your way to get crazy. No nope. way to get okay. crazy. And, um, but in that year, God just confirmed it over and over again. And so people came to us who didn't know us. People prayed for us and said, man, I feel like God is saying this about a a ministry over your life of, of spiritual parenting. I feel like, and I I feel like you've already seen this place. You've been there and you know, I was just, I mean, there was just crazy stuff. 
And um, so at the end, when the, when the door actually opened to Wuhan, like we knew it. We knew it at that point. Oh, this is what God is saying. And so we got a call. We had a phone call in March of 2008. And in July, July 23rd, 2008, we had gotten rid of all of our things. We gave away everything in our house. We quit our jobs and we moved to China. And we thought maybe we were going to be there like a year because like, why would God take us to China? We didn't even speak Chinese. Yeah. And we were kind old. Of cra- and like, I, I didn't even think about that either. Oh, yeah. You don't even speak the same language. Kind of a big deal. Yeah, pretty Hadn't deal. gone through a lot of, you know, we hadn't gone through mission school. We had, you know, all, all the things that are the best practices of being a missionary. We also yeah. failed on all those. Um, but then when we got there, God kept us there year after year. And, and actually my husband said one of the first times he really heard God speak to him, he was like, God, why are you taking me to China? Like he was a successful salesman. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do in China? And God said, I want you to be a father in China. I want you to show the father's love in China. And what I can tell you is your, your question that sprung off into this was how much time between the first and the last the first one was adopted in 2006. The last two, the twins that we just adopted, were adopted in 2018. So that stretch of time, 12, 12 years, years. Yeah. of adding. And sometimes they came two at a time, even though they were biologically not related, they came two at a time. So in the year I turned 40, I got twin, not really twins, but but we artificially twinned two-year-old sons. <laughs> That's just crazy. I mean, I should have been getting like a sports car and a manicure yeah. and, you know, right. that kind of stuff. But twins. But I got twin two-year-old sons, yeah, uh-huh. and I was living in China. So we were in China for 10 years. So so when you were in China, okay, I'm trying to figure this out. So you lived in China. Were all your kids from areas around there or when you adopted, were they from? Because you were saying like you know, Lithuania, all these places. Yeah. I don't know. Was it, were they all, all from China? All are Chinese, yeah. Okay. So our first daughter was Chinese. Our second son was Chinese. And they were both from the same province, like same state in China. Mm-hmm. And they we went to the same city to Wuhan to adopt both of them. Mm-hmm. So then when we came back, we lived in Wuhan. And then um, adoptions three, four, and five, they were all Wuhan kids as well. Mm-hmm. We had to go through the same international paperwork and process, processes process, that everybody probably. else does, and the kids were living in our city, and we couldn't bring them home. That it would was, be frustrating. It was really difficult. And with uh, with the money, I mean, how did you end up, I mean, if this 20K, 30K kid, how did you how I have did no you idea. I, the only answer is that God just provided Every, every time, single time. Every time. Every single All time. Ten in of them. totally different ways, totally crazy that different manners. Um, we had a we had a house, the dream house that we built for we took some money out of that. Um so I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of money in it to begin with because we didn't live in it very long after we yeah. built it before we went to China. But when we came back to America, before we came back to America, that we'd gotten all the money out of that house we could. When we sold it, like we sold it for break even. And at first I was like, oh you know what is everybody gonna think because yeah. you know when you're our age you're supposed to be, have a nest egg you're supposed to have this you know have, you're supposed to be settling down you're supposed to be yeah. settling down. you're supposed to have something to show for all your work and and my husband said to me he said you know what he said that house that we sold and all the decisions we've made about whatever money we had I mean we we've used we used all the money we had to pay for our adoptions yeah. and then God brought other other money to us as well. But my husband said, tonight when we sit at that dinner table, he said, I want you to look around the table 
And I want you to remember that we invested in orphan futures and they are performing beautifully. And that every bit of money that ever came out of our house or our retirement accounts or anything else, every bit of it is entirely worth it. And it's true. I look at my table and I think, thank you, God, that we invested in the lives of children because my life, I'm more blessed, as I told you before, than anybody I've ever known. It's beautiful. And I love, I love the way that you talk about like, like wealth. Cause everybody, I mean, even I off the top of my head would be like, Oh, you mean money? Yeah. Right? Because it's not that because like, I mean, it's constant thing in the Bible and in people's, you know, minds, especially in mine, like, you know, everything's going to go away one day and it won't matter, you know, your wealth, as long as you like lived your life, especially, you know, in our case by faith. Yes. And you know, so when you say you're wealthy and like blessings, a lot of people will be like, what? Like, yeah. you know, it doesn't make sense, show me the money. I know, but no, that's awesome. That's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, and so about the adopted kids, mm-hmm. I know you brought up, and I knew this because you'd, you'd come to our school, I think, twice before you taught there. I think mm-hmm. it was my freshman, my sophomore year, because mm-hmm. I recognized you as a teacher, and I was like, I, I think I know this lady. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I've seen all your kids, um, well, maybe not the twins, because I don't know. They if came were... after. Yeah. Okay. So we did a chapel at school, and, and at that time, eight of the adopted kids and then the three biological kids, we were all together on yeah. the stage in chapel. I remember that. Yeah. So... On the subject of some of them being, some of them not being special needs, uh-huh. and, I mean, obviously at first you were a little hesitant towards that, um, which ones were, I, which was your first adopted special needs, was your second, I don't Yeah, I don't, so actually, technically out? they are all special They're needs. all, okay. How so? Um, they all have medical special needs in some way or another. Um, so in fact, that's actually what makes our family more normal that is that we all have, and we even say those of us who don't have any medical special needs that are obvious that actually all people have special needs. Like you have special needs, Lachlan, but maybe I can't see them on the outside, but they're on the inside. And so actually what makes us human is our special needs. Everyone has them. Right. So we have, our kids have some medical special needs, like, um, you know, like, uh, like one had a, a, a pectus excavatum, which is like where your, oh, wow, your chest is a little dented in. Oh, I know what that My is, brother yeah. had that when I was growing up and we thought it was cool because he could hold pool water well, when he got out of the pool. One of my friends has that too. Right? It was right. like totally nothing, but that was considered a special need. That's great. Um, one of my kids only has one eye. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one kid that was born without four fingers. Um, one who lost his kidney right after birth through unfor- unknowable circumstances. Um, but then... Some of the later ones, as we then built our our confidence, not in us, our confidence in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one son who he was adopted uh, sixth in the lineup, and he was born with spina bifida, so he uses a wheelchair. He has lower limb weakness. He has kind of a laundry what, list what, of what things. What specifically does that mean? So it means that when he was born, um, that instead of his spinal being on the inside and closed up in his back like yours was and mine was his back actually had a neural tube defect there was a there was a bag that was on the outside and his spinal cord his nerves were on the outside of his body in a little bag instead of inside so when they put it on the inside the result was it paralyzed him from the waist down um he also has you know he has hydrocephalus He, he has a laundry list of things that are on the medical special needs list, but he's a total amazing miracle. And he has a superpower. All my kids have superpowers. And that's the thing. Like 
when we really understand what our our special needs are, then God also gives us superpowers that compensate in enormous ways. Right. I have one kid who's, uh, I have three children who are born with albinism. So with albinism, that means white hair and white skin and blue no, eyes. No, I've, I've met them. Yeah, yeah. So that, so in those cases they have, they have low vision, um, various degrees of low vision because we need pigment for our vision in our eyes. We need the mel- um, melatonin. Um, we also have, uh, I have another son who's blind, just has like a pinpoint of vision. In Not one the one eye. that, oh, it is the one eye. Yeah. So like basically blind. Yeah. He has a pinpoint of vision. Yeah. So with all those, so you have, you know, of, of course you have, you know, 15 kids to take care of, and then probably a little more difficult having ones, you know, with, you know, tough time walking in wheelchairs, blind, and yeah. this and that. So expenses on that, how did, how did that, how did that work out? Yeah, it's just God. Yeah. I actually kind of get to be a broken record on some of those things because I actually, there's, there's no, um, logical explanation for how anything has ever worked. I assumed that was the answer, right? And most of my questions, it is, I I just didn't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not really a broken record. It's just how it is. No, there's, I mean, there's no, like when you adopt, like if you, if you bring home a child with special needs in the United States or here in Washington state, for instance, through foster care, like there are government subsidies and there's benefits like healthcare and things like that, that those kids can get. When you, if you immigrate an international child, you don't have those benefits. So you just pay out of pocket. You figure out how to weigh, you know, put them in. And you know, what I really found too kind of amazing is initially when we started adopt, some people say, you're going to, you're going to ruin your kids. Like you're going to, what about the cost to your biological children? What about, you know, what are they going to sacrifice because of this? And, and, you know, and I'm telling you, you bet my kids have been impacted gloriously by being adopted siblings. I would assume so. They are the most compassionate, the most responsible, the most, they just see people totally differently. You know, they, they don't see people just on face value. They understand that people's value is intrinsic to them and you have to discover that. And, and that's a treasure to find those things. And, and they've, one of the number one things that people say about our family when they're around our family is, man, your kids take care of each other. Yeah. And that is like Ezra, for instance, he was in a wheelchair and there's no such thing as handicapped accessible in China. Nothing. What do you, mean? you can't, there's no ramps. Why not? That's uh, how it is. It's just how it is here in the United States because of the Americans with Disabilities Act. It's federal law that every place has to be accessible to handicap a wheelchair. Spot, everything, oh. everything, handicap parking, all that. That does not exist in China. Those protections do not exist. And so you just to go, for instance, from your apartment to the neighborhood grocery, you might encounter uh, six different curbs that have to be negotiated and you have to pull the chair up on or lift the child. I had no idea. We lived for a while. When we first moved out, we ended up living out near Tibet in the city of Xining um, after Wuhan. We were in Wuhan for five years and then we went why out did you, to... Why did you move? Um, the school that we were a part of starting in Wuhan sold. They asked us to stay, but we didn't have a piece about working with the new company that was going to do that. And God moved us out to this on the Tibetan plateau. We lived at 7,500 feet and uh, out on the Silk Road, what was originally the Silk Road where, uh, I mean, just, you know, 4,000 years worth of history in one town. And, um, 
vast different people groups, Muslims and Tibetan Buddhists and a small little Christian um, minority and a lot of crazy stuff. Like we had things in our city where like monks would burn themselves to death in protest. I remember against... you talking about that yeah. in our Bible class. What What do you mean by that? Like people would – I'm so you lived – you moved, yeah. You know, after five after years, after five years, mm-hmm. and you to Tibet, yeah. And it was full of different people, and yeah. Crazy, yeah. Bur- I, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just remembering what you would tell us, yeah. Um, in a class, but like I said, it was, it was a while ago. So sure. I, so, I don't know. so you know, Xining is actually still part of Qinghai Province, which is which is still like China. It's not actually the Tibetan region, but it's the Tibetan Plateau. So it's like this jumping off place into Tibet. It's like the last city. That you visit before you go off into Tibet. Okay. Okay. So that's the region. So in that area, because we were only at 7,500 feet, and a lot of Tibetans live at 12,000, 13,000 feet, in the wintertime, they would come down to the city. A lot of them had winter dwellings um, and and houses where they lived or apartments where they lived. So we had a huge Tibetan uh, population. And any place you have a Tibetan population, you'll have a lot of monks a lot of Buddhist, Tibetan Buddhist monks. And um, there is a, a fair amount of friction. If you've driven around any place in the last 20 years in the United States, sometimes you see bumper stickers that say free Tibet and things like that. Um, there's a there's an ongoing dispute that has happened between the government of China and the people who had have um, generationally been in Tibet. Tibet wants to be free. China says you're part of us. So there's been this tension. And so... When we moved to the area, um, some of those tensions had died down significantly by the time we were there. Okay. But there, but sometimes there would be protests, like a like a monk who would want to protest and and say that they believe that Tibet should be free. Um, they would they would they would do a self immolation. They would they would light themselves on fire and they would burn right there in the city in and front die. of all these people and die. Set that, themselves martyr martyrdom to prove that they believe that. That you know to make their statement about Tibet. So and you saw that? Uh, I never saw one, but I have friends who saw one, and, and certainly they happen. Yeah. Um, there was a huge Muslim population. Um, in in fact, parts of the area out there where we lived, like you would think you were more in like the Middle East mm-hmm. than you were in China. That's what I was asking. I was like, if you're still in China, yeah. monks and and you know yeah. a bunch of Muslim people, I just. Yeah. Sound like. yeah, but it was the far northwest, and it was the Silk Road, and the Silk Road was the road that actually goes all the way to the Middle East. You can there's a land, it's, it's, yeah, it's, you know, you can make their way, mm-hmm. and that's how trade used to happen. Like that's, that's how trade yeah, came you said in. It's history, yeah, that's right. So yeah. You, what did you, we, we were there? Twenty twelve. Yeah, the we were there. Yeah, so we were there from we moved in twenty thirteen, okay. and we were there for, from twenty thirteen to twenty eighteen. And okay, so. Like you said, you you've lived in Washington way before. You went to China and everything. Yeah. Like and by by 2018, you had 13 kids. Yes, that's right. right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm keeping up. You, you had 13 kids. Well. So you went back to Washington because of what? Um, God said so. We didn't want to go back. Uh, I was happy to continue to live. Actually, a lot of the ministries that we've been working on, finally, our Chinese was pretty good after 10 years of living I was going to ask that, too. Okay, I'm not going to say pretty good. I'm going to say our Chinese was passable in many environments. Well, I assume so, yeah. Um, not all environments, but many environments. Um, and some of the ministries and things that we did, like I was traveling all over Asia doing two different things. One, I was preaching 
Um, so I would be involved in conferences and teaching and preaching in Mongolia and Nepal and, you know, but, and then uh, and all, all parts of China. But then I also had the opportunity um, to travel within China to orphanages in various places because I began to work as a social worker. So that's what you were doing there. I was also going to ask about that. Too. Yeah. I mean, my so husband's visa. Yeah. My husband's visa was, he was a teaching visa and I also taught the whole time I was in China. Um, so I taught for all those 10 years, but as some of my side hustles, I traveled and did conferences uh, and then I also traveled to orphanages and, and visited children. And I did home studies for Americans and other Westerners who wanted to adopt and needed to have a home study investigation done. I was uh, licensed here through Washington State. And I traveled around and visited families and conducted home so you studies. you did a lot of, a lot of hustles. I did a lot side. of side hustles. Yeah. And that made... I mean, good enough money for you to live there, right? Yeah, it was it was enough. Certainly, there was never any extra. Um, but but the greatest part, I mean, the reason that I did that was not for the income. The reason I did it was because we could only adopt so many kids. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, we tried to adopt everyone, <laughs> but we couldn't yeah. adopt everyone. And so we really felt like, how can we multiply this ministry? Like, how can we see that more children get families? Because Nobody can reach their potential in life unless you have a family. Yeah. You know, I you mean, need it. It's like a boundary. Yeah. And the church for years, like, got really in love with the orphanage idea. And some churches are still really in love with the or- orphanage idea. Like, we're going to send money. We're going to send. I think most churches do that. Yeah. Right. Clothing. We're going to give them an education. We're going to give them, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But, I mean, if you think about your own life, and I think about my life, I'm a little bit older than 30 now. And, you know, even in my life to this day, when I have something momentous that happens in my life, or if I have a bad day, very often the first person I call is my mom. Now it's been years and years and years since my mom provided me education or clothing or But food. it's still the connection. But the, the connection, bond. the bond, the, the part of being a, a part of a connected family, that's what makes us human. That's what gives us stability in life. So it's just not adequate to institutionalize children and think we're doing the best for them, giving them food, education, and shelter. Because when they reach 18, we have that, not addressed their key need, which is they are without family. They need a family. Yeah. Do you think, do you think it's, it's, it's not bad, right? If, if, so my family, we do the same thing. We send money to all parts of uh, you know Africa. Um, like, I mean, unless the Holy Spirit called them. My parents, I don't think they'd voluntarily ever adopt a, a kid or yeah. more than one, especially now. Um, but is it to you, uh, I don't know, I, not bad. I mean, I don't think it's bad to not do that, but I mean, I, I totally agree with you. It's more important for somebody to have a family than, you know, sure. get some sort of income. Um, but do you think it's, it's not good that churches are more focused on getting the money? So it's a very interesting thing. So I think there is a, a real movement happening in 2017. I was in, uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand for a, uh, a summit called the Global Orphans Forum. And it was people from, I don't know, 70 countries. There's over 600 people from all over the world who were really kind of rallying around this. How, how does the church actually do orphan ministry? Mm-hmm. And historically, um, the church was crazy about the orphanage and that was easy. And we institutionalized kids and we put them in a safe place and we fed them and we did our best by them. But ultimately we didn't address their 
most basic need, which was family, family. connection. Right. So there is a real movement that's happening around the globe, even in those people who are focused on orphan ministry, who are now doing things called family-based care. So they're putting... They're taking the resources of your family and my family that when we sponsor a kid or support a kid. And that's helpful because that helps pay for food, clothing, education. But instead of putting them in a warehouse with other children, we're actually putting them in families, in communities. And we're helping to support. So that's really the move that's happening in orphan care internationally. Um, And that is what uh, I hope to be more and more involved with as I, as I send my funds to support either, either that I'm allowing a child to be with their parent. Maybe the father is dead, but the mother is still living. Um, so the child can still be in the home. So my money is helping keep a child in a family Yeah. or I'm helping support an organization that has family based care for these children. And they're not just in a warehouse. No, I agree with you. It's more important to have, I mean, it's, it's important to have everything, you know, food and education and stuff, but at the end of the day, like you said, like you need a family, you, you need, need someone family. to call whenever you whenever you're stressed out. That's right. So yeah, that's important. I like that. That's that's good. Um, we were also on the subject of 2018. Yes. Like you said, so you moved from Tibet to back to Washington in yep. 2018. Yep. And because God told you. Yeah. Yep. And <laughs> so you brought all your kids at the time 13, right? Yep. And what brought you to? I mean, because you said stuff like Bellingham and whatnot. Like Shoreline, yeah. specifically, and specifically, you know, my high school. Yeah. Like, I I, you know, because I, I remember with you. first seeing you in like, yeah, 2018, I believe, yeah. like sophomore yeah. year or something like that. Yeah. Like, what brought you there? So, um, all my stories are so, so long winded, but we knew we were coming back. Uh, we didn't know where we were going to be. First, we're like, okay, God's calling us back to America. So, America's a big place, mm-hmm. totally open to wherever we're going to go. My thinking is, like, we're going to have to, like, live in North Dakota or West Virginia or someplace. Why would you think that? Because we had no money. Oh. And we just get a, get a yeah. barn and then, like, we'll yeah. just, like, you know. <laughs> we needed one. We'll just make bunk yeah. beds and yeah. everybody will just sleep together and, you know, I'll make hash on yeah. the stove and that's how we're going <laughs> to live because, you know, I don't know how else we're going to make it. So I had really limited thinking. I mean, it's crazy even after that many years of living, living really hand to mouth from the Lord's hand to our mouth all those years we were in China. Um, and seeing all the miracles he did, I still didn't know. Like, I was like, how are we going to do it in America? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking in these particular things. So we, we came back in um, for an exploratory trip as a family over the summer of 2017. We drove around a little bit, and the kids here, were really like focused. Seattle. We drove actually all the way from Seattle. We went to the Midwest. I had roots in Indiana. Course, My yeah. husband had roots in Missouri. So we went and visited some of these kind of lower cost of living places that seemed practical to go to. Um, And yet when we came here and then after we came home with our kids and we just said, okay, what, what's your heart saying? Where do you feel like God's calling us in America? They all said Washington. And so then I was like, but do you know the cost of living in Washington? So I wanted to help God out. So I was counseling him a little bit in my prayer time saying like, Hey God, you know, we can't afford rent. What are we going to do here? And we don't have a house. Our house has now been sold. It helped pay for many previous adoptions. We don't have, I mean, I'm, when I'm saying we're coming back without any money to the United States, I'm not talking about the American way of saying 
hey, we don't have any money right now because we went to Hawaii for two weeks. I'm talking about like. No, I'm saying like we don't have any money. None. Like we don't have any money. Well, uh, by the way, where when you were traveling across the Midwest, where did you keep your family? We time? besides <laughs> like maybe your family's house, but when you were going across, you took breaks. I mean, yeah. Stay? So we'd stay, at, you know, motel sixes or yeah. we tent or you know yeah, stuff like a lot that. of stuff. Okay. Oh yeah, we. I lived, mean, I assume we were living the dream. Yeah. So living the dream. Yeah. Um. So we we. Came back we, as we were coming back. I was like, God, we don't have the money to do this. And um, right before, uh, in, in October of 2017, I needed to come back uh, because my my eldest daughter at home was turning 18. She needed to get her own visa, so we had to come out of China. So we came to Washington, mm-hmm. and in the people knew we were now focused on Washington. Where are we going to live? Are we going back up to Bellingham? Or we had more contacts? Or what are we going to do? Um, and people knew we were coming to this area, and they said, hey, you should really check out your high school. You should really check out Kings. Um, that's a great school for the kids to go to, and you've been an educator all these years. Maybe they'd be interested in you. You're, you know, you're a missionary. Maybe they'll be interested. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, you know, <laughs> I mean, I don't have a lot of money, but I can do basic math, you know. And I'm, like, looking at the tuition, and I'm, and I'm multiplying that over the number of, of – um, K through 12 kids I have. And, you know, frankly, that's a little funny, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, but on the fourth day I was here, I only had a week in Washington to get that visa changed. Oh, oh, We were here for a short trip, just my daughter and I. And I ended up talking with actually a King's alum, a guy who's in real estate who I met through a God arrangement. And we ended up sitting in some coffee house in Bothell talking about basically God stories. And he's like, tell me more. What has God done in your life? Tell me more. And he tells me, oh, yeah, I went to King's. I'm like, oh, I've heard about King's. About eight different people have said that to me. But I'm like, I've only got a few days. I don't really have time to go check out something that's impossible. Like, there's no way my kids could attend there, you yeah. know, with the tuition. And, and But we were talking about, like, big moves of God. And I was just testifying about how God had provided money for this, 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 and this. And as I left that thing, I had this overwhelming sense, like, of Holy Spirit saying to me, like, is, are, are you really judging that you can't go there based on your resources? Like, after all this time of walking together and all I was going to say, like, I, so me saying it's so much easier for me to say, because I'm seeing this pattern, I'm like, why wouldn't you believe anything that happened at this point? Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of funny, because, I mean, if I was in your situation, looking at the tuition with all the kids, I was I'd like, like uh-uh, oh, nope. no way. I mean, I was just like, I'm yeah. like and I'm not afraid. I'll put him in public school or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, God will be in charge. So I ended up going, decided I'm going to go the next thing, go check it out. Drove onto the campus, drove onto the campus. As I'm driving onto the campus, I just said, Holy Spirit, you know, like, if you have something for me here, then I'm just open the door. And if you don't close the door, I'm okay. Like either way, walked into the admissions office, sat down, started talking to um, the admissions officer and telling her a little bit about ourselves. And, you know, we have all these kids and some have special needs and yeah. And by the way, we don't have any money and you know, all that kind of stuff. And she tells me the story of the founding of Kings. She's like, do you know the story of Mike Martin? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, no probably not. Up here. Yep. And she starts to tell me just a little bit about it. And I'm like, well, that, I mean, that's my DNA, right? Mm-hmm. Mike Martin, his wife, Vivian, they don't have any money. They come, they pray around on the campus. God gives them the school. God gives them a vision. He's multiplied everything. I'm like, that's who I am. That's the God I know. And um, so then I started to be suspicious. God was calling me to Kings. 
Yeah. And um, and then over a period of time, we go back to uh, China. We have the opportunity to adopt um, twins that looks like it's a possibility um, that we'd been watching for some time. A lot of things were up in the air. And, and this then, is 2018, right? Yeah. And then finally, it was just like, I think God's actually calling us to Kings. Had a hard time getting in the door. Had a hard time making connections. I ended up coming and working first with their international students because I could speak some Chinese. So they liked yeah. that. So I worked with international students in the fall of 2018. And oh, so you were working at the school. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I had, I had no of idea. Of course, yeah. yeah. I, I was with international students part-time. Yeah. So, and that's when you saw me in chapel. And, um, yeah. of course, my desire was always to teach. That's what I'd always been doing. Uh, but I wanted to teach Bible. <laughs> yeah. And um, so then the opportunity came for me to teach part-time your junior year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they were just, like, giving the opportunity hopefully to have maybe two potential Bible teachers that they have long-term. So they, so they split it between two of us. Now, by the way, now is it just you? It is. is it, okay. I just want to make, yeah. I, I, I yeah now know. I have all of juniors. Awesome. So That's I have good. them for an entire semester. That's great. And it's wonderful. That's awesome. So yeah, so that's when I started, and then this year I started full time, um, and with all the juniors, which I just love. So, but I felt really strongly that God called me to Kings. God told me that He wanted me to be a rebuilder of ruins. So he was is, like, it was that another like, yep, Holy Spirit totally thing. another, totally another Holy Spirit thing. To adopt my pattern, yeah, yeah. I, you're, you're, you know, I'm sending you to be a rebuilder of ruins, and I'm what do you, looking what do you around. Think that means, like, yeah. well, like, and when did he say that? 2018. Yeah, he said it to me when I was praying about going to Kings, and Rebuild I was like, "There's nothing in ruins at That's Kings. Like, Kings is, you know, gorgeous, and yeah. you know." But what I came to find out was um, that the hearts of my students. Or in room. That, that's it. I see. That's hey, that's that's I like that. That's like a little secrety. And then now I was thinking about I was like, what could be in rooms? <laughs> you could think about that and come up with things. Um so your last adoption was two years or three years ago now. I kinda of forget the new year. Yeah. almost three years ago, yeah. I'll say. Yeah, um, two and a half. I mean, I guess it's not really up to what you want, mm-hmm. but you know, supposing if God wants you to keep adopting, does that look like something you would I mean, easily do it. Just, I mean, obviously I can't say like, you so wouldn't be like, no, I can but. tell you, I can tell you that, um, when I had my first daughter by birth, I was like, Oh, we'll just have one. Yeah. And then our other two that by marriage and that's all. And then we had a second one. I was like, Oh, that's plenty. And then the third one, I was like, this is embarrassing. 10 more. Yeah. So when we adopted the first time we were like, okay, got the badge, did it, did what God said. That's gotta be the end. Mm-hmm. The second time, we were like, oh, come on now. People are going to start talking. You know, like people are going to yeah. think like you could have collected cats, but instead it was kids, kids. right? Um, so I was a little bit concerned, <laughs> you know, what are people going to think? But after a while, every time every time for the first probably six adoptions, I would just be like, okay, God, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do, like, look at me. I'm obeying you. I'm, and I'm dragging myself into obedience. Yeah. But by the time, by God's grace, we got to adoptions, um, eight, nine, and 10, something had really changed in me. And I thought, okay, now, now I'm going to lean forward into this. And if God doesn't want it, that I'll close the door. But if he brings a child in front of me, I mean, child number, child number eight, I met him in an orphanage. He was seven years old. He'd lived seven years in an orphanage. And he said, please don't leave me here. To you? 
to me. And then you knew? And I said, I'm not going to leave. I mean, how could I be an imitator? I mean, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That's what Mm -hmm. it says in scripture. So if I'm an imitator of Jesus, how could I leave him? So in that particular case, I mean, it wasn't the right time. There wasn't the right money. There's always a million reasons why it's a no. And yet it takes my breath away because this morning Gideon gave me a big kiss on the cheek. And he's like, hey, mama, have a great day. And if I had listened to all the things, well, this could be hard or this inconvenience or this is going to be difficult or I hate the adoption process and I hate all the paperwork, I wouldn't have had that kiss this morning. That's something to think about. Yeah. I mean, these are, it's not like, and the thing is, when we talk about the orphan issue, Lachlan, is that people, like, they hear these big numbers and they're like, whoa, it's such a big issue. And, and it, and it's like when we think about the children as a big number, then we can kind of pretend they're not real. Mm-hmm. But the Bible also tells us that when we see, we can no longer pretend that we didn't see. And see, that's what it was for me. Once I saw my daughter, once I went to my first orphanage and saw that these were just kids, kids like you were, kids like my other kids were, that just don't have a family. I couldn't pretend I don't know anymore. Yeah. So by the time that the twins came, nine and ten, and that was like adopting two Category 5 hurricanes um, into the house in a totally crazy time. We just moved back to America. And their story is a totally amazing God story, too, about how they got to us. But, um, but what I can tell you is that I have resolved I will never again say this is the last one. I will never say that again uh, because I don't know. Um, and none of them have ever been my idea anyway. Yeah. Every well, single one, too. God said, oh, by the way, here's your kid. And I said, oh, okay, come on home. You know. So I have no idea. And will I maybe add another 15? I don't know. I don't, I don't know but how that would happen. But I, but I definitely will not. I will Same. never again say Oh, this is the last one. I will never again say, oh, Lord, are you sure? I will never do that again. You're dragging your feet. I will never do that again. Yeah. That's changed because of what? Like what you've seen. You can't unsee it. You just like. That's right. That's great. And and I've seen God do so many. I mean, because it's like when you partner with the Lord, like when you cooperate with Holy Spirit and things like that, like it unlocks the most amazing adventure of like we're so in America, like we're all about adventure. Like we're about the big ski weekend. We're about the big Kona trip. We're about the, you know, we want adventure. We want to skydive. Yeah. And all those things are cool. They're awesome. I'm all down for those too. It's nothing like, it's nothing like putting your hand in the hand of the fathers and saying, okay, I'll follow you where you lead me because you see miracle upon miracle. You see provision that blows your mind. You, you get to talk about it the rest of your days. Like not, I mean, I'm just average. I'm just so average. You can't even believe it. I'm just normal people, but God, my God is great. And I'll never forget. I was talking to a Muslim woman in China and I remember talking with her and she said to me, um, she, she was a foster mom, so she took care of, of Chinese orphans. And, and she met me because I was there to, to do a study on one of the kids that she was taking care of. Mm-hmm. And so I just told her about, oh, yeah, my family at that, I don't know, maybe I had eight adopted kids at that point or something. I don't know, seven, something. 
And I remember her looking at me with eyes wide open, and she said, Your God is so great. And this was in China? Yeah. A Muslim woman. Yeah. Didn't believe in Jesus, did it? But she say. said, Your God is so great. And I thought, Yes. Yeah, he is. That's that's better than anything. That's right. Especially someone, yeah, with like a completely different Totally like different faith. Yeah. Totally different. It's not just know. some person on the street that doesn't know it. It's totally. a completely different religion yeah. saying that. That's awesome. And it, and it fulfills scripture. I mean, it, the, the Bible says, Let, you know, let your good deeds, I mean, do the work that God prepared in advance for you to do so that people will see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. That was the fulfillment of that. That Muslim woman was praising Jesus. Mm -hmm. Your God is so great just because we obeyed. That's all. It shows. Because it yeah, shows. That's awesome. How awesome he is. And you mentioned the there was a crazy story for your about your twins you most recently adopted. What, yeah. What, you want to touch on that? So I'll touch on it for a, a brief. So we saw them when they, we saw ad people advocating for them when they were 10 years old. Now, they were adopted by us when they were 12 years old. So two years mm -hmm. prior, we saw their information. We were in China. We were getting, we were moving towards moving to America. We were also in the middle of our la our ninth, uh, our eighth adoption at that time. So that son wasn't even home, the one who said, don't leave me here. Can I come home with you? So we were in the process there when we saw the twins' photos. And I had that ping. And I was like, oh. Okay, so, but China, in the middle of adoption number eight, they changed their rules. They got very strict about the size of your family, and that was predominantly the issue for us. Each time we would adopt, they had rules, like you should have five kids, no more than five kids. But if you were a good home, if you were a good placement, they would give you a thing called a waiver, and they would say, okay, we're going to waive that particular rule and allow you to go ahead and adopt. But in the middle of adoption number eight, they changed it and they gave no more waivers anymore. And so we were way outside of the lines, right? We were way yeah, beyond five kids. Way beyond. And, um, but we still felt like God said these were our kids. So what happens with uh, children who get a, a advocated for by an American agency is like one agency, say an agency in Bellingham, Washington, gets a group of kids' files and they have them for like three months and they are actively working to try to find families. And if they don't find it, then the file moves to another agency. Maybe it's in New York City. Maybe it's in Florida. Okay. And it, they move around. So the first time we saw it, it was with an, an agency somewhere in the, on the East Coast. And we reached out to them and they said, oh, you have too many kids. No way. And then maybe three months later, still they're on our minds. We're talking about them. We're praying about this family. I'm about these kids and their, their, uh, files pop up with a, with a Midwest agency. So we reach out to them from China. We're like, Hey, here's our situation. We're in China. We speak Chinese, you know, blah, blah. and they were like, no, our policy is your family's too big. We wouldn't work with you. Okay. So finally on the very same week that I was here visiting Kings the first time in the end of 2017, at that same time, the agency that I worked for, when I was in China that was here in Washington state, they got the twins files. Now, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of agencies. Yeah. It's my agency it's that gets the file. Yours, and so I'm like, okay, I mean, God must be doing something. They must, he must be making a way for them to come home. So I get back to China after a week in the United States and we all as a family say, okay, let's just like, we're going to try. Like China may say no, 
But I'm not going to stand before the Lord someday and say, you kept bringing these kids up to us and we just decided, oh, it was too hard or we thought they'd say no. So we're going to try. So on the very day, I stay up really late in China because of the time difference, stay up really late. And I call, I call my agency and I say to the lady, you know, we want to pursue, we want to put a file forward. We want to try to appeal to China and see these kids have been waiting two years They've actually been waiting 12 years, but at this point they're waiting two years since we've seen them and they still don't have a family. Let's, let's try to convince China to say yes to us. And on that very day that I called, she said, Amanda, it's the craziest thing. She's like, but today they got a family, another family. And I'm like, what? I mean, two years of pursuing these kids on the very day that I call somebody else steps forward for them. I was, it was, it was a mixture of like relief because it's exhausting and it's $70,000 and all this kind of stuff, but it's all, and we're getting ready to move to America. But at the same time, I'm like, there's a blessing that we're missing here. Like we're, we just got robbed. We got robbed of a blessing. Basically. And so, um, a few months later I heard of all the 50 States, they were being adopted into Washington. I was like, well, that's weird. And then some months later, we're getting closer, like we're almost practically wheels up from China to come back to America. Then we hear they're going to be adopted into Western Washington. And the thought occurs to me, I may meet these kids, these kids that I actually thought were mine that are coming to another family, you know. We arrive in July of 2018. Uh, On September, about September 1st, that same agency that I worked for called me the other half of the agency, half of the agency is about placing kids. Half the agency is social work. I'm a social worker. So they contacted me, the social working side, and said, hey, we have a family that's in China right now. They're coming back to Washington State. Family's in crisis. Placement's not going well. The children don't speak any English, English. of course. Yeah. And since you speak Chinese, would you work with the family as a social worker so that you can then translate to the children? And I was like, okay, well, tell who is it? It's the twins. Like they call me, they want me to, to be with to of work course, with the twins, of right? And they didn't know this side of the agency didn't know that we'd pursued them, that we'd tried to adopt them. They so didn't they had know traveled unintentionally they, they, all the way, all the right way, near you. all the way to here. And so I said, hey, I can't, I can't actually, I, I can't be their social worker. Um, I've got a conflict of interest in it. But I said, you know, if they need a translator, one of my daughters can translate. So they hired my daughter, Madeline, who is now 21. She's fluent in Chinese. And she did like these Zoom sessions with them to try Mm -hmm. to help when the kids hit the ground, to help that family communicate. It was not a placement that was. And actually, after the first call, my daughter said, that's not going to stick. There's no way. And after about 10 days, then we had a phone call saying, hey, would you guys be willing to do respite care? Respite's like foster care. Would you take them for a short time and then send them back? And my husband said, no, we can't do respite care. because Because we have already eight children who are adopted. And it wasn't even adopted. And if if we, like, brought kids in and then – but you – can also leave again, right? Yeah. It's, it messes with everybody's head. So he said, if they decide they're not going to parent them, if they're going to we'll disrupt the adoption, we'll take them. Mm-hmm. And within a month, they were in our house. Just like that? Just like so that. So they had, it could have been any state. Any, could have been any, any state, country, any, any family, country. any agency. 
and their adoption fees had been paid. We had to pay U.S. adoption fees, but everything else, and they just came home. That is unbelievable. That's how God got them home. We, we couldn't have gotten them out of China. China would not have given us the waiver. And so God said, these are your kids, and he brought them home to us in a very securitous Fashion. Complicated journey, though. Very complicated. Very complicated. A lot of doubt in it. Like, no, no. So much doubt. That is awesome. But they're home. Yeah. So, yeah, it was three, almost three years ago. That's, yeah. That's quite the journey for them. I was going to say, I when you were talking about how the China's was like, no, I was like, I don't know how they're going to pull it. Yeah. Out. <laughs> what's going to happen now? It's a little loophole, loophole How's it gonna system. Happen? Yeah. Um, so, just like kind of like, I guess, on like the last few notes, especially okay. with what going on right now. So, you're doing your school on zoom yeah most of, uh, well at least wednesday but like you know i guess mm-hmm. the, like this last week it was all on zoom because yep. you know the break does that make it easier or no, harder i hate it well i mean i was okay yeah of course i i hate zoom too <laughs> i hate doing all these teams or whatever you have yeah um but like for for your family i'm, I'm wondering like if 15 kids i mean i guess there's you know ones older that can take care of themselves yeah. how like are they taking care of when you have to go yeah. To school. So in this particular season, normally what would happen <clears throat> is everyone would be at school. But I have three kids who are in Edmonds School District and they're not back on campus, so it's a little bit complicated. Otherwise, everybody comes to school with me. So we had a special, because uh, we were King's teachers, our kids could come every day. So every day I come to school, I now have eight kids who are at King's. The oh, twins wow. are also at King's. So I have eight kids who are at King's, and we all come together every day, um, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Mm-hmm. And then I have three who are Edmonds School District. Two of them now have gone back to be on campus, which has been amazing. They're my visually impaired kids. And my son in a wheelchair still, he's the only one who's not returned back to in-person classes. So I have a girlfriend of mine who comes and is with him during the day. That's great. Until I go home. Yeah. And so this might be a little more complicated question. It was actually one I was just thinking of. Kind of just a random thought. Groceries. How does this How does this work? Yeah. Groceries are... Well, groceries in America are way easier than groceries in China. Why is that? Because in China, everything is set up. I mean, the, the Chinese family, at least until 2015, was limited to one man, one woman, one child. I did remember that. I was going to ask you about that. Like, how one child policy, yeah. So all those things, all you know, everything in China is made around a family size of three to five people because sometimes you have grandparents who live with you. Um, But when you're a family, a mega family like ours, most people thought we were a school, you know, like they wanted to, and especially because my children are Chinese, they wanted to enroll their kids in my school. Like, wow, you're, these students are really good at English. I'm like, actually, it's my daughter, it's my son. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So it was really hard because even the carts in China are like the shopping carts Small. are tiny That's and then crazy. I, I would sometimes have to use three carts to get just a week's worth of groceries because they were so small. Um, so, I mean, before I left for China, Costco was like, I would sometimes have a little bit of Costco anxiety. Like, could I ever get through the peanut butter, you know, like in six months because my kids were little now yeah. I could shop at Costco every week. No problem. And we're totally through it. Um, I don't do any monthly shopping. Everything is weekly shopping. I was going to say it's probably, yeah, constant than it's normal. it's constant. Yeah, it's constant. And now because of my children, of my ten adopted children, two are girls and eight are sons. And right now I have nine teenagers in my household. So and most food. of them are boys. A lot more and food. they eat. I don't know where they put it all, but they eat 
amazingly. And a lot of do they do a lot of them play sports? They do. They well, they're they're starting to play more. I mean, of course, this year's been terrible, this is right? Different. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm like last year. Yeah, they did. So we had some football. We had some um, running track and and you know basketball things like that. So hopefully they'll get back to it and be playing more. That's good. And then birthdays, like oh, I mean, glory. besides the twins, it's just oh glory. Yeah. That's so we lot. have um, we have six birthdays in October. We have. Five that in February. Crazy. I bake more cakes in October than the Safeway Bakery woman. That is crazy. I was yeah. gonna. I didn't know if you had a specific amount more. In, I mean, I knew you had twins, but yeah, more, six in October. Yeah. Wow. So it's a very very busy season when those our birthday seasons hit. But you know, we don't we don't give gifts at birthdays. We usually do something that's experiential. Like we usually do a special dinner. Like we go out to a special because for us the size of our family to go out is really special. We just can't afford to go out to a restaurant all the time because, you know, you can drop $200 on a dinner, you know? Probably Um, more than that. So we often don't go out. So that's often what we do for birthdays or or we'll have friends come and we'll do like a party at the house. But we don't usually do gifts just because, yeah, it's too much. And... I mean, obviously, I don't know how many people know this or whoever listens to this because, you know, some people I know, some people like, I don't know listen uh-huh. to this. Um, you had COVID, like, <laughs> how long ago? How did that happen? Like, yeah. you, I mean, you probably, I don't know if you know or I not. I don't know how it happened. But um, do you have to get tested at school and that's how you found out or did you have symptoms or what? Yeah, so right before Christmas break, um, I was, I mean, I kind of had it. Like, not even a sniffly nose. Like, my nose felt a little congested. Okay. That was all. Um, and I was at school last day before break, and somebody gave me a gift. It had a sprig of rosemary, you know, the plant the rosemary. Plant the little, yeah, I know. That was tied in the bow. And rosemary is very strong. And I put it up to my nose, and I couldn't smell anything. And so I asked my daughter, I was like, is this like dried out? Does it have any smell? She's like, mom, I can smell it from across the room. It's so strong. And it was like right under my nose. I couldn't smell it at all. So then I was like, okay, yeah, I got to have to go get tested, but I didn't have any other symptom. So I got a rapid test in 20 minutes. They said, congratulations. 2020 isn't done with you. Mm-hmm. You know, your door prize is Corona. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so we started a quarantine and we were in quarantine all the way family. the Everybody. whole family. Christmas, New Year's, wow. yeah, living the dream. So who's still in? That? So we have um, we have five who tested negative who are still in. So King County Health Department I think has the longest possible quarantine they require, and because we're in Kirkland, we're in King County what is now. It, 14? So it's not just fourteen. So like, if you're in a household that somebody tests positive, okay. So on day one you test positive, you who tested positive can be contagious for 10 days. So they, so the first 10 days, the quarantine hasn't even started. The first 10 days are considered the contagious period. And then on day 10 through day, what would be 24? Oh, that's that's when the 14 days starts. It's way worse. Yeah. So I was wondering, how have you spend the whole break in there? Uh, I see now. Mm -hmm. So the, the CDC has a little bit different guidelines, but we have to follow whatever the local health department is. And the local health department here for King County says 10 days 
And then from the last day, you could potentially be contagious. Anybody who tested negative or is non-symptomatic has another 14 days to wait to see if any symptoms develop. So we have just a few that are the stragglers. Everybody else is released. Yeah. Does anybody to the have world. worse symptoms than just no smell or what? No. Actually, uh, we had there were six of us that tested positive. Um, the worst symptom that consistently anybody had was headaches. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, okay. a little bit of congested nose. Yeah. My one son also lost smell for a few days. My smell has come back. It was... I, had I not lost my smell, I never in a million years would have been tested. I didn't even think I was sick. So that's the really tricky thing yeah. about this COVID thing is that people like, have different experiences. Yeah. I and mean, even if it's just like normal, you don't even think about it. It's a runny nose, whatever. Right. And somebody so, you know, I mean, people die from this. It's crazy. And then in our household, it wasn't even like a cold. It was like a non-event other than you're on lockdown for 24 yeah, days. Yeah, a little bit of a big deal. <laughs> I know I already know the answer to this is like it hasn't changed. But when I was thinking about this, so when I found out from you, like letting me know I have COVID or I had COVID, Mm -hmm. um, your house catching on fire within the last few months, you having to move, your your family getting quarantined for almost a month, you know, um, you're teaching online, yeah, you know, I mean I know that your faith is still amazing. I just wonder because I let people know that I was having them on the podcast and they, you know, asking these questions. I heard she had, you know, coronavirus this night and whatever. Like you should ask her about her, like how her faith still remains so yeah. strong when so many people good. struggle. And I was like, that actually is a good point because I think some people take struggles differently. Some people might sure. be like, what the heck God, you know what? I don't, this is, I don't think I can do this, you know, yeah. you know, religion thing. And some people like, in my opinion, you take it as we were talking about the very beginning, how positive it can be, you know, yeah. getting a new house, getting rebuilt, and not old anymore. It's great. But it just is, it's to me, it's like if, if those things happen to me so fast and yeah. so, you know, rapidly. And I had so much, you know, kid wise, I had so many kids to take care of. And yeah. I was like, why is this happening? Yeah. And I'm teaching online. Yeah. I would just, I personally think, I mean, it's never happened to me, but. I'd be very really struggling vulnerable with your faith. to, yeah. Yeah. So what you, what you didn't know, what we haven't mentioned is we've had six emergency room visits with my kid who's in a wheelchair and two massive surgeries, one that didn't go all well also in 2020, all with him. Wow. Um, he was supposed to be hospitalized for like five days and was hospitalized for two and a half weeks and, and during COVID. So I couldn't even be there. It was the start of school. So my mom and one of my daughters had to be with him at the hospital. It was just horrible. I couldn't even go visit him because of COVID. Regulations. Um, just crazy. So we've had a lot. I mean, it's been really difficult. And actually, after the COVID diagnosis, the COVID diagnosis was on the 18th. And then on the 23rd, my son has a port that we use each day um, to help deliver some uh, medicines to him that are important. That's in his abdomen. And once before it's closed, like, unexpectedly and it closed a port is like a a tunnel it's like a tube that's been surgically created where you can you can put um either a catheter in or something where you can deliver things internally without you know through the old-fashioned way of drinking something or something can can he not eat or drink he can eat or drink but he because he has um some complications because of his paralysis and so he actually got a bit of an upgrade when it comes to how he can empty his bladder every day so he can actually empty his bladder out of a tube out of the side which is super slick really awesome it's a massive upgrade okay yeah 
So that surgery didn't go well, didn't heal the best, then it finally healed. But the port where we put a catheter in four times a day, um, where it's, it's like a little tube of skin that's on the inside, you know, it has a little hole on the outside and you put this, this long plastic catheter on the inside. Mm-hmm. It collapsed once about two months ago and we had to go to the emergency room for it. And then on the 23rd, so five days after my COVID diagnosis, it collapsed again. What did you have to do about that? I, I mean, go, you had to go to the hospital, I had to go right? to the hospital. had to go to the hospital on Christmas Eve. And I spent six hours on Christmas Eve until 10 o'clock at night in the emergency room. And then on Christmas Day, we had to come back and have a medical procedure. And we spent another five hours on Christmas Day in the, emer- in, in the hospital. And what I can tell you to, the, to your question about struggling faith, on Christmas Eve, <laughs> back in the day when I was a kid, people who had difficulties, wow. they used to call it a nervous breakdown. Everybody had nervous breakdown. It's like nervous 70s breakdown. and 80s. You had a nervous breakdown. It's like your nerves no went crazy and you, yeah. you had a nervous breakdown. I like almost had a straight up old fashioned 70s nervous breakdown on Christmas Eve. Um, I was praying. I was listening to worship music as I was in there. I was getting prayer from other people. Um, but it was, they were kind of avoiding me. We were trapped because we were also COVID. We were in an isolated room. We didn't have any food. I couldn't go to the bathroom. We weren't getting any answers. And then we got this crazy answer that said, you have to stay overnight on Christmas Eve. Now, mind you, my children, the rest of my children are at home. They're calling me. They're crying. Mom, are you guys going to come home for Christmas Eve? Are you going to be here for Christmas morning? I mean, it was super, super, super intense. I can imagine. It was, it was one of the most intense things I've been through. And I think it was more just the culmination of this year that, are you kidding me? That's what I'm saying. It's worse than I thought. I didn't know this. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know right. the surgeries in the right. whole year. So. so on the 24th on Christmas Eve, at, at between 8 and 9 p.m., I hadn't seen anybody in the ER for two hours. They didn't come to me after telling me we were going to have to stay overnight. And I was just like, God, I need you to break through in this right now. I desperately need you to break through. Like, I I don't understand why. When is it enough? When is it, you know, this has been such a hard season. And I'm trying, Lord God, just to trust you in this. But this, I mean, just real. I'm just sobbing. I'm sobbing. I'm, I'm ugly crying. I'm like imagining how I can like break out of the, of the room that we're containing in and just like put Ezra on his wheels and we're just going to run out get to the out car and just get out of yeah. town and like bank robbery style it out of there or something because it was so intense. Like you didn't want to be there. And I finally was just like, okay, God, I trust you. Mm-hmm. I trust that you're doing something. I need you right now to show up in a big way. I need you. And then the surgeon who had already said we had to stay overnight and everything, she came back to the room and she said, well, I can offer you that you could go home and then come back for the procedure tomorrow. And I'm like, get us out of here. But it was really, we were at an impasse and, and all of the doctors had said, there's nothing we can do. And it's Christmas Eve and like nobody, nobody's helping you. Nobody's around. I mean, they're the poor people who were there. Most of them worked they chose to work Christmas Eve because they could, or they got double time pay, you know, Yeah. but, but it's definitely, it's definitely like, you know, when you're talking to the doctors at that time, like who you're getting a hold of maybe is, 
younger doctors, you know, not the A strings that can make the big decisions, you know? Yeah. We're less confident in them. Exactly. And so it was so hard. And so, um, and so in those moments when it was just like, I, I have got to have a breakthrough. I mean, I just cranked the worship music. I just prayed and I, and I, and I cried out to God and I was like, God, this isn't fair. Like we need a break here. This is too hard. And he, and he gave us a breakthrough and we ended up coming home. And you know what was interesting? Even in that really difficult thing, we pulled in at 10 o'clock at night on Christmas Eve and we have like traditions, you know, like, like we do Christmas, Christmas dinner right. and we do all these things. These We put on Christmas PJs and everything. And it was like almost all of it was going to be missed. And I got home and the door opened and the kids came running out and they're just hugging Ezra and I and we're all crying, you know, and we went upstairs and we exchanged the Christmas PJs and we, we set the plan. We were going to get up at 6 a.m. because we didn't know when we had to go back to the hospital. Okay, so we're going to get up at 6 a.m. so that we can have Christmas no matter what. And everybody gets excited. And then the next morning, Christmas morning, we opening gifts at 6 a.m. was ridiculous. We're so exhausted. And But you know what? It was the sweetest Christmas. It was like every bit of it I appreciated. Every bit, every seeing, hearing my kids laugh seeing them love on each other, having them love on me. It was just precious. There was like, and, and I never would have appreciated it like that if it hadn't been so threatened the day before that, that we were going to lose that experience. And it's just like the house. It keeps coming back to like right. terrible things, right. situations yeah. turning into things that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Better things. Beautiful things. Yeah. Really beautiful. And that's, and that's the message of the word. Like he takes, he, brings beauty from ashes he he's a redeemer he's a restorer he's a rebuilder like I've seen him like that over and over and over again in my life my house burned down but he's going to redeem all that and I'm going to end up with a house that's remodeled that I probably never in a million years could have afforded to remodel but God's going to do it and I've had people come around side us people I have a guy who and his wife my my friend's parents a pastor for like 40 years he and his wife they left their home in texas god told them to sell their things and to sell their house and they weren't sure god was calling them on a next assignment and you know what the assignment was what's that they've come to take care of us they moved to to washington and he's my project manager for my rebuild of my house he's he lives on my property they they live in this really nice um you know, fifth wheel trailer that they bought and they live on the property and they're managing all the volunteers and they're managing all the work because now we have like work crews. I'm, I'm asking people come, can you volunteer time? Because it's a huge project that needs to be done and insurance is only going to pay for a little bit of it. Yeah. It was affected by the fire. And like, they just came to serve us. And like God is just overwhelmingly blessed us. But I never would have seen that. If it wasn't for, if it wasn't for the hardship. Yeah. That's that's the most important part. It's like the testing your faith. I mean, right. out of everybody, I would assume that you would last longest of a faith <laughs> test. But it is. It's like hardships test your faith. So whether or not you know you're gonna realize that things happen. I don't remember. I started reading the Bible a lot more recently. Like I've always, you know, been with God and whatnot. But like recently, my New Year's resolution was to read the Bible like every weeknight Good. with my friends. Good. Um, and I was re- I, don't, I think it was Ephesians. It was talking about how like. I don't know. I don't quote me. I don't really know the reference, but it was basically saying that same thing. It's like, you know, who are you to question God? Like, you know, um, like everything that happens, you know, essentially it was saying it's like for a reason. And, you know, it's like I I made the hard times. I made the good times. But 
you know, it's something like that. And it just, it speaks to me and reminds me of this because everything you're saying is like, there's so much greatness. Like, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, my house, you know, coronavirus surgeries, you know, I have to move from China this way, this way, this way, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars, all this stuff, tuition, it's like comes back, but then you sit here, like, and you're reflecting on stuff like, just a simple little thing like kiss this morning. It's like you can reflect on small things that like, you don't think about the moment, but then you're sitting here, you're just like, wow. You know, yeah. if I didn't go through all that crazy stuff, right. wouldn't have been the same at all. Yeah. So it's a good, it's a good outlook. I wouldn't see how great God is. Exactly. You see, if it's all up to me and if I can all, if I can cover all my bases and I'm all good taking care of me, I don't need a God. But yeah. when we obey God and when we, when we really follow him into places that are just really crazy in a lot of ways, like most people think we're just crazy and that's okay. Because actually, I just can say over and over again, it's not us. It's It's all him. It's all him. And, and, you know, I think, Lachlan, if people knew, and people are desperate for hope. They are desperate for something that they can hang on to that is a rock that will hold them no matter what. They're desperate for it. And yet, you know, people don't think it's Jesus because Jesus has gotten this super bad rap through the church. And, and, you know, for years, the church has taught truth without love, you know, and the world is taught love without truth. And, you know, we, but, but actually we're supposed to be the truth in love. We're supposed to testify about how great God is. People are dying for what Jesus will give them. And we mucked it up so bad with uh, the way we've represented him is like, he's like some a la carte dish. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll have him with my regular plate of meat and veggies. I'll have him for a little dessert. I kind of need Jesus. Man, when you really see, man, see Jesus show up and show off, there's no better life. Yeah. And people are like, I want that. You know, they, they don't want my crazy, but they but want they want, that, they want that. They want yeah. that Jesus. Jesus who is close in the darkest times. Jesus who blesses inordinately much. Jesus who who takes us on adventure. And takes us into a life that is greater. I mean, there is nothing about my life sitting in front of you today that I ever expected my life to be. Nothing. I don't think I would either. If someone came up to you as a little girl and said you have 15 kids and lived in China and now live in... No, you'd probably be like, stop. None of it. And where did your faith faith start? Mm. So I was raised in a Christian home, but I was a professional Christian. So like, I was a cultural professional Christian. And I would have been voted most likely to succeed as a professional Christian growing up. Like I went to Christian school for a time. I always went to youth group and church. Mm -hmm. I did all my memory verses. I had a whole bunch of head knowledge about God, um, but I had very little heart experience with God. And, and so what, um, I went through Bible college. I, I kind of blew my life up in my twenties and, and, um, and when I came back, actually when God pursued me, um, when I really totally realized in a, in a moment of just absolute confluence of God's goodness and grace and forgiveness and repentance and everything that was one of them was the most important moment of my entire life. Um, I was in my twenties, like 27 and it just totally, my life changed from that point on. And I really feel like that's when I crossed from death to life. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I, I really do appreciate you coming. I was, I, we kind of played phone tag. We Forever. played, I mean, oh my gosh. Yeah. And then everything happened. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so good. I mean, I've, I've heard these stories, whether it was in chapel for the last two years or even for the whole semester last yeah. year. Um, 
because I kept saying, oh, I remember you saying that. I remember, <laughs> you know, about Tibet and whatnot. Um, but it's so good to be able to actually, like, fully you know, yeah. hear everything. So, yeah, I really appreciate you coming in. I'm glad. I'm glad to have the opportunity. You know, my life, this is what my life is about. My life is about testimony. Mm-hmm. To tell how good God is. And you have. And that's that's what my life that's is about. Important. And yeah. And no matter what it is that comes my way, I just pray God will continue to give me the grace to be able to say, look how good God is. Don't look at me. Look at how good he is. And so when my former student says, hey, come do a podcast for me, and I know I get to talk about Jesus, then then I I clear the schedule and I make it happen because there's nothing more important for you and your listeners to know than where they are with Jesus. And it's not a game. It is real life. Yeah. People and like it is to, the best life. People like to, that, that's the thing is, it's like, I was, I agree with you when you say like, people want to like live this life with, with Jesus, but they kind of want to have him as a side dish. It's yeah. kind of like that. It's like, you have to really have a change in heart. That's it. Like in Romans, I keep quoting because I'm like, oh my go, God. Oh, there you go. In it's Romans, good. it was saying how, you know, people who really have a change in heart don't expect praise from people. They expect praise from God. That's they, right. they don't need people to be like, hey, you're doing good. That's right. Because like you said, people are like, you guys are crazy. No yeah. adoption. This, yes. you're, you're poor kids, this and that. Or, you didn't need that. Or you're amazing. I can't believe yeah. How do you do this? I'm like, oh praise my gosh. Praise or criticism. I am straight up so average. You cannot even believe it. It's but them, I yeah. serve a mighty God. Yeah. And the end of the day, it doesn't, like I said earlier about what you were talking about, well, like nothing matters. People's opinions and this That's and right. that. Crazy, like uh, praise and criticism. It's like. At the end of the day, it's like, it's him. It's not you. That's right. You know, because like you said, you wouldn't have gotten 15 kids. No way. Never. No way. Never would have been my plan. No way. But I'm so glad it was his. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Bless you. Um, you as well. You as well. And I hope you, I mean, I guess the view is a little different. We'll turn off the lights so you can see <laughs> a little see bit how, more see of the how view. pretty it is. Yeah. I'll walk you around. So, awesome. Okay.